0: Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane: Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I interview a personal friend, Alex Roding. Hello, Alex. How are you today? Doing well. Well, thanks for having me on. Good. Well, Alex. Before we get going, would you mind just giving a brief two, three-minute background about yourself, who you are, where you're from, just kind of basic general background?
1: Yeah, so like you already said, my name is Alex Rohde. Um, I am currently living in Jackson, Tennessee. I'm from a small town in uh, Middle Tennessee. I was raised as as a Southern Baptist Became an Anglican for about two years and then converted to Eastern Orthodoxy about five years ago. I have a, um, I went to Union with you, which is how we met, and I completed a bachelor's double majoring in uh, theology and philosophy while I was there.
0: Okay, Alex, so for those of us that may not know or are just not familiar with Christian denominations, churches, and on the whole, what is Orthodox Christianity?
1: Yeah, so Orthodoxy, kind of broadly defined, very succinctly, is we identify as the one holy Catholic and apostolic church founded by Christ. Many are familiar with like the Roman Catholic Church. Um, We have a a very deep shared history with them, um, only splitting, some would say we split around 1054, some would say at the Fourth Crusade, some will say as late as the 1700s, but um, we have a... A shared common heritage, though in in Orthodoxy, it is predominantly Eastern as opposed to uh, Western Christianity that you'll find in the Roman Catholic Church. So while there is a lot of similarities, we differ with the Roman Catholic Church on some key issues, uh, namely the papacy being the biggest one. Um, However, even from the Roman Catholic side of things, the Eastern Orthodox Church has maintained the ancient Eastern tradition of the undivided church. But like the Roman Catholic Church, we do claim to be the one holy Catholic and apostolic church.
0: And in practicality, worship inside of the Orthodox Church looks pretty similar to a Roman Catholic Church than it would to... Let's say a majority of, of you know evangelical churches in the U.S. Um, or really in in the Western world now. So building on that, one of the points that we had on the previous or one of the previous episodes with Jonah Saller is the importance of sacramentology. And so, as a reminder, sacramentology is just the study of um, of the sacraments, and then. We can define sacraments in different ways, but the one of the definitions that I like that I've recently come across is that it is the closest and most intimate ways that we are able to be in contact with Christ. And so one of the things that I really appreciate about both the, the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox churches is that they have such a strong emphasis on the sacraments themselves. And so we've already established, um, let's just say that you believe what I'm saying here with with this podcast, that being in contact and continuously participating in the sacraments is very important for you. Helps you recenter yourself as a police officer, or really, even if you're not a cop, just anybody. Uh, But especially as a police officer, because you're exposed to sin with all five senses. Alex, the, the question I have for you, because you're an Orthodox Christian, these things really do matter to you. Um, how do you, on a daily basis, incorporate the sacraments into your life? Because, just on a practical level, we're not able to go to, to take the Eucharist every day. Mass, or a service, or divine liturgy, whatever you want to call it, doesn't happen every day. But how, how do we involve ourselves Ourselves in the sacraments daily. You know, that's something that I know is is big for you, it's helped you a lot. Would you mind just talking about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think the starting from a more heady perspective and then moving down to the practical. So when it comes to an Orthodox understanding of the sacraments, while there are certain uh, sacraments that are higher than others namely you know the eucharist baptism marriage things like that the the seven sacraments that are often identified by the roman catholic church Um, in orthodoxy there's a big emphasis that everything the church does is sacramental everything that we do by extension um, at being members of the church then being members of the body of christ therefore can become sacramental so Within uh, the divine liturgy, after the end of every divine liturgy, we do uh, post-communion prayers, because for us, the Eucharist is not only just the source of the rest of our sacramental life, but also the source of the church itself, right? And so after each divine liturgy, one of the post-communion prayers that we pray um, asks God to let this Eucharist that we've been partake- partaking of, His let his body and blood pass into every part of us into Our joints, our reins, our heart, things like that. And the reason that we do that is there is this uh, implication that you are what you eat, right? Um, That in partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we are becoming the body and blood of Christ. And that is not just within the context of being in a church service, but rather in how we operate and live as Christians throughout life the entirety of our lives. So that's kind of the sort of heady fountainhead of the rest of how practical, uh, sacramental, and primarily Eucharistic living uh, is is supposed to be. And so in terms of uh, practicalities, how does that look for us as Orthodox Christians? Um, you know, there's sort of a three-legged stool when it comes to spiritual practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Those are kind of the three foundational practices, and those are not something that are distinct from the sacraments. They're often treated that way as little, like, add-ons that we do, but rather those them they themselves are extensions of in ways that we participate um, in the body and blood of Christ that we've already partaken of through through the divine liturgy. So, prayer... For example, then becomes instead of just uh, just merely a conversation, it is a constantly re-entering of that eucharistic presence that God has already has already given us. We are actually bringing ourselves before Christ. It is not just a uh, mediation, sort of like you know I send one letter, he sends a letter back, but it's a constant re-inviting and re-entry into that that presence. Likewise, when it comes to uh, fasting and almsgiving, both fasting and almsgiving are ways that we physically carry out the life that God has given us. So when we give alms to those in need, for example, that again is an extension of uh, Eucharistic living and that we're becoming the body and blood of Christ to others as well. And then lastly, with fasting, fasting is one of the um, practices that is practiced all the time throughout the Orthodox Church, we fast um, from certain categories of food like meat or dairy about half of the year through different uh, different fasting seasons. There are certain days of the week um, during non-fasting seasons that we still fast from. And fasting for us is not just a an ascetic practice; it is that. But it's also a very visceral way of learning again how to live in constant reliance on Christ. You know, we, while we d- may deprive ourselves of certain foods, we do that specifically for preparation to receive uh, the sacraments yet again. So every aspect of an Orthodox Christian's life should be. Um, should be sacramental, should be uh, eucharistic. So it's not just that. There's. It's often talked about, say in the Roman Catholic Church, and this this isn't necessarily wrong, but I do think it's not as helpful making a distinction between the sacraments and sacramentals. Right. So things like the brown scapular or the rosary, things like that, are not identified with the the seven sacraments, but there's still a. Um, a way to participate in, in in the grace of God within within the Orthodox Church uh, we would just say that those that things like that are extensions of of the Eucharist and in fact many of the other things we do aside from explicitly you know religious activities can also be extensions of the sacraments as well so even things like uh, this is something I spoke with a an abbot at an Orthodox monastery about a month ago about this. He was talking about both with, with, within a monastic context, but also bringing this over into living. You know, as a as a married uh, as a married man in my case, that even eating with people, just at uh, at the dinner table, um, should be treated as an extension at, of eating at the at the altar of God. Right. So even everything that we do properly properly approached can be an avenue through which we come into communion with God, because ultimately God is everywhere present and filleth all things. And so while the sacraments and the church are the fountainhead um, through which God uh, enters the world as he enters the world through Christ, everything thereby can become sacramental in light of the, we'll call them the great sacraments.
0: Well, beautifully put, and that's a, that's a really good way to, to illustrate how how to have a, or or rather how an Orthodox Christian deeply involves himself in having a sacramental ontology, right? And focusing yourself on the sacraments over and over. And one of the points that I've heard from, um, a couple Orthodox Christians is that the sacraments themselves or, or a participation in the sacraments or what you were just talking about, is not just a cure for your sin. It is a cure for sin itself. And so even if you you're not you're not the one committing sin, having been exposed to sin, it is, it is important to involve yourself in these things. And so how that translates to us as as police officers is that even though we may not be doing heroin or we may not be prostituting ourselves, we still do need to be involved in some kind of sacramental lifestyle in order to combat the effects that sin has on our lives. Um, and I think that especially being a police officer or being a nurse or being a firefighter, that you're, you're really exposed to this kind of stuff in a very visceral Embodied way because you're forced to do it not only with your eyes, but you you have to interact with it with your hands, uh, with your ears, with your nose, <laughs> and so it, it it's important for us to to be fully involved, to be fully embodied in our in our cure for our sin exposure. Now. I was talking to another police officer and one of the things that along these, this idea of senses and that, you know, our senses matter and then God gave us our senses for a reason and being embodied in our worship and sacraments is that we, we were talking about the Eucharist and one of the things that the one of the points that he made is that, you know, when you when you look at the Eucharist, he said that, you know, his own senses in front of him kinda say that these are this is just wine and a cracker, right? Would you mind explaining just just a, a brief little bit about what the Orthodox believe about you know what what the eucharist is and like kind of what that view is so that we can kind of like i guess retroactively put a base to what you're saying about how how the the eucharist become like we when we take it in it fully we are fully enveloped by it would you mind just kind of explaining what the eucharist what orthodox christians would say the eucharist is?
1: yeah so Within the Orthodox understanding, it is largely nearly identical to like how a Roman Catholic would understand it. So we would formulate it a bit differently, though. So for us, ultimately, the main thing that is to be said about the Eucharist is the Eucharist is actually the body and blood of Christ. We tend to stay away in terms of explaining how, what exactly changes, things like that. For us in the Orthodox Church... Mystical theology is so important. And so learning when to say that something is a mystery and is beyond human comprehension is important. So we would say that the Eucharist is actually the body, blood, divinity, soul of Christ. When you partake of the Eucharist, you are participating literally, physically, in the entirety of Christ himself. But we would not explain like how that happens. What are the mechanics of it? It is an act of God which transcends human reason. Um, it's not anti reason, but it just transcends reason. And so, ultimately, even beyond that, and this is a point where there would be some differences between us and like Roman the Roman Catholics, is that the Eucharist itself, under the presidency. Of the bishop consecrating the Eucharist, or a priest as an extension of the bishop, constitutes the church itself. So, you know, when the scriptures talk about the church as the body of Christ, that's not a mistake that that language is kind of overlapping with the Eucharist being the body and blood of Christ. And so, so for us the Eucharist being the body and blood is what constitutes our life as Christians entirely. That is what it means to be the Catholic Church, is to participate in the fullness of the body and blood of Christ. So, it really is the foundation of our existence, really. And I mean that in a very literal, kind of ontological sense, that we exist as Christians, we are made into Christ because of the Eucharist. So that's that's kind of a condensed uh, version of what the Orthodox understanding of the Eucharist is.
0: And we were, so Alex and I talked to each other, I'd say once a week now. (laughs) That's kind of, Alex is is one of my good friends. And one of the things that, that struck me when Alex and I were talking a while back is that one of the things that the Orthodox Church believes is that as we become more human, we become more like Christ. that it is our nature to to be, let's say images of Christ, right And you know once again, we're not Christ. I'm never gonna come on this podcast and say that I'm God. I'm not God. <laughs> but our true nature, so n- with no sin in it, not having been corrupted with sin is to be like Christ. And what what struck me is that I kind of put two and two together because I I'd always heard that we were going to go in hev- to heaven and be with Christ. But what, what what kind of blew me away is that the, the Orthodox view of the, end goal of a human is to be seriously made in in the same image to be made like christ and you know how do we make ourselves more like that and so so we, we were talking some more and you told me to read some about i think it was is it saint ignatius that was going to be eaten by lions mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah. saint ignatius If I understand correctly, he, you know, in the ancient world, there's a very good chance that he actually met Christ himself and he was on his way to be carted off and eaten alive by lions. And in his, in his letter to the Romans, one of the things that he says is, I wish to be made the same sacrifice that Christ was on the cross. And or it's, it's something around that. And I when I first read that, I I was like, who is this guy to say, <laughs> make me the same sacrifice as Christ? And then I thought, hold up, <laughs> this is an ancient Christian who probably met Christ and knows understands this theology a whole lot better than I do. <laughs> and so it it made me realize that the, he his. Death at the hands of lions is a great participation in the same, in the same sacrifice that, that Christ himself made on the cross. And then I made this connection to uh, what Chesterton says in, I think he says it in The Everlasting Man. So one of the things that he says, um, we've brought up the concept of suicide here before on the podcast, but one of the things that Chesterton says is that martyrdom and suicide are complete opposites. So suicide is death in spite of the world. So it's it's there's no purpose other than to remove oneself from the world. So it's, it's a complete destruction of the whole world for oneself, the antithesis of creation. However, martyrdom is to die for something. It is to die so that others may live in Christ, specifically if we're talking about Christian martyrs. And so having that understanding has really kind of changed how I, I look at the world because I really do think that I would, I want to uh, uh, being a dad and being a husband there, even like in the small ways that I sacrifice for my kids or or for my wife. And I go do something that I really don't want to do at that time, but I do it, you know, I, I go cook dinner or I go cut the grass or X, Y, and Z instead of playing video games or reading a book or drinking a beer or X, Y, and Z, Th- those are, are small forms that I participate in, um, in, in the Christian walk because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sacrificing my own wants for someone else. Would, would Orthodox Christians kind of say like, you know, that also is, it, it's not like maybe less necessarily a, a sacramental participation, but it's kind of a, it kind of along those same lines.
1: Yeah, and I think we would even go so far as to say it is, in a sense, a sacramental participation. What do I mean by that? I think, uh, first thing, kind of going back to your example of St. Ignatius of Antioch, who is particularly important to, um, to me in our tradition, because I'm Antiochian Orthodox, but he talks about, you know, you mentioned uh, him writing to the Romans. When he says that he wants to uh, join in the sufferings of Christ, he says that in doing that, he will become human. And so I think that has to be kind of the catalyst through which we view all other forms of sacrifice or self-offering is, again, living that as an extension of constantly living in that sacramental participation in the sacrifice of Christ, specifically in the context of marriage. Um, In the Orthodox Church, when we uh, do a wedding, there is a part of the service in which the bride and the groom are crowned, and that crowning symbolizes not just the crowning of Christ in his church, but also symbolizing crowns of martyrdom that are given, so that every day that we live as married people and are sacrificing for each other, we're participating in actual martyrdom, not just symbolic martyrdom, but that in and of itself is a form of of constant martyrdom, and so every little sacrifice that we make, like like you said, making dinner or mowing the, mowing the lawn instead of playing video games or doing things that you want to do, that in itself is a small way that we participate in the sacrifice of Christ. It doesn't sound like much, and, and some might even scoff at that. That's really how we become more like Christ, you, you know? It's only when we live that kind of lifestyle of constant sacrifice that if someone comes knocking and we have to lay down our lives as, as total martyrs like St. Saint, Saint Ignatius, we can only do that if we've cultivated a life of constant martyrdom. And that in itself is sacramental. Again, it's it's an extension of you know the seven great sacraments, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that somehow... A, only a figment or a mimicry of actual communion with God. But that in itself becomes an avenue through which we are in communion with God.
0: And this is something we've talked about before, that you can't just do things because you think about them. You have to actually go out and do them. Right. And so you can't so – the parallel here is you can't just constantly do what you want and then the next day put your life down for, for your family. Mm-hmm. But it, it's only after a cultivation of that. Would yeah. you, Would someone have the soul cultivated for that? Mm-hmm. In the same way that, as police officers, we have to cultivate our abilities to do certain things. One of the one of the, my my favorite diagrams that I have seen is um, there's a there's a six point star that I saw. It's like the six points of policing. Um, and I think it's uh, like firearms, driving, report writing, legal understanding, defensive tactics, and I can't put my finger on the last one. But and I could be wrong about what all those are. But being a cop, it, it's it's not like being an engineer where. You can really you, you can define really well as to what exactly you want. You need to be good at. There's just a ton of stuff you have to you have to almost be like a Leatherman. Um, and so you have to cultivate these skills before you can execute them on uh, with some mastery. And so if you want to make that hostage, I, well, I had a um, I had a supervisor for a while who was on SWAT team, and he. Uh, was a sniper and you don't just go from being never shot a gun to sniper on a SWAT team because you you know over two days because you want to he had to sit there and cultivate his ability to shoot a gun over and over and over and over and over and so I think that the that the orthodox Christian lifestyle understands that we don't get things the first time, or we don't we're, we don't live in our heads. We you know we live in our bodies, and in order for us to cultivate skills, or actions, or whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, we have to do these things over and over and over, and and that it, it's important for us to to participate in these things constantly. All right, I think with that we're going to take a quick break. Okay, and we're back. So, Alex, one of the things that you mentioned to me as we took the break is that our participation, or rather one's participation in a sacramental lifestyle not only helps yourself, but it can also help bless other people. Would you mind getting into that some?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, it was kind of building off what you had said earlier about um, a previous guest saying that, the sacraments not only uh, cleanse us from our personal sins, things that we that we ourselves have done, but also cleanses us and protects us from sin itself. For, but further, however. Um, it can also be a healing and sacramental presence for other people, even if they're not people who they themselves are participating uh, in, the, in the life of the sacraments. A clear like, uh, biblical example is when St. Paul is talking about Christians who have unbelieving spouses, right? So he writes that the believing spouse will be the sanctification and the salvation of the other. And what he means by that is not just like, Oh, they'll help witness, but quite literally just being in communion with someone who, um, who is in communion with God, that in in of itself can be salvific and for other people and bringing them to communion with God. Whenever, someone in the scriptures participates in the divine light, participates in God himself, it radiates outwards, right? And so when St. Moses comes down from uh, from the mountain, it it is said that people had to shield their eyes, he had to veil his face because he was uh, shining forth with the light of God, right? And so that itself was a participation in the life of God coming forth from St. Moses. Likewise, when we live a sacramental lifestyle, so what um, say for example, when you when you're a cop, not only if you're living a sacramental lifestyle as a police officer, are you yourself being cleansed of your personal sins, and protecting yourself from the sin outside of yourself that that you encounter? But if you're living a sacramental lifestyle, that itself can also be salvific and healing for the people that either you're um, you're helping, that you're protecting, or even those um, who are perpetrating uh, crimes. You can you have that opportunity to live that that sacramental lifestyle and become the body and blood of Christ to others. It's kind of like a fuller extension of what I was saying about almsgiving earlier. Now, of course, that's not necessarily a substitute for them living the sacramental lifestyle on their own, but that is a concrete, real way that they can begin to encounter God to lead them into the full participation of of the church.
0: It's a good exposure to God
1: himself. Exactly. Um, You know, St. Seraphim of Sarab, who is a more modern Orthodox saint, once wrote that um, acquire the peace of the Holy Spirit and thousands around you will be saved. So he's talking about there living that sacramental lifestyle and people will be exposed to the Holy Spirit through you living that lifestyle and will come to know God.
0: All right, well, Alex, one of the other reasons that I want to bring you on the podcast is you and I have talked about before how one of your personal struggles is being cynical with the whole world. And so we've gotten into nihilism with Dr. Barnard. We talked about what nihilism is. That's a, That can be a trap that cops fall into. Another one that I personally struggled with a while when I first started this job, and I know this is something that police officers struggle with all the time, is that is being cynical and believing, or, or, or even just saying that, screw all these guys. I don't want to deal with any of these people anymore. They're all terrible. They all need to go to jail. And some of that is just an exaggeration that you know, we feel like we're arresting everybody and that we're seeing all this crime whereas you know, it's it's small amount of crime spread across a large population. But what are a couple of things that we can do to help to help with like this this ongoing building cynicism that can this job especially can Can put upon us.
1: Yeah, so I think to answer that, we have to have a clear understanding of what causes cynicism or um, a sort of practical nihilism. And I think ultimately the root of that is when we lose sight of our communion with God. Right. So um, exposure to sin, whether your own or that outside of you or being exposed to that darkness, we can let that cloud our vision of the divine light. Right. Our, our vision of God. Um, and it's it's a thing that does happen, especially if you are in a profession that exposes you to a lot more darkness like um uh, being a police officer or some other kind of first responder you see a lot of that darkness and it's really easy to get caught up in that and so obviously i am not exposed to that that um that extent right so whatever i say take with take with a grain of salt but but ultimately I think. I think for me, I could not escape that practical nihilism without at least being in the presence of the Eucharist. Right. So, when I was a catechumen in the Orthodox Church, when I was in the process of being brought in over the course of about a, of about a year, you know, I couldn't take, I couldn't take the Eucharist. I couldn't take the body and blood. Um, I had to wait until I was received by chrismation, which is another sacrament. Just actually being in the presence of Christ, and knowing for sure that I don't have to ask myself if, do I feel the Holy Spirit, or you know, do I think God is working here, or, or whatever, to know for a fact that Jesus Christ is right there. I can see him, I eventually can partake of him, but even though I can't right now, I know that he's there and if he is there and he is in all of these other people who I see partake uh, of him I know for a fact that he is everywhere present and fills all things and so when you have that sort of understanding and you see Christ um, as fully God and fully man you eventually uh, begin to cultivate a sense of seeing whenever you see the darkness of the world, whenever you see people participating, actively participating in that darkness, learning to see that Christ came in their same humanity to save them from the oppression that they both are under and participate in. You cannot escape that sort of cynicism if you don't really believe and really see more importantly that there is a path to redemption that um not just a path to redemption but that he has also promised that he will come to destroy this darkness it's not just well maybe one day but he has already burst the bonds of hades he has already come into the flesh and will wipe away every tear both yours as well as the people you're helping and also the the tears wept by the people who are doing these evil things so we have to have that view of of understanding and really seeing not just intellectually assenting to the incarnation as well as the second um, the second coming if we don't really see that that that's why I think having a sacramental lifestyle is so important is that you have to see it. You have to participate in it. You can't just read about it.
0: When I was first starting this podcast, I thought that, you know, maybe I'll get into mental health and then also get into, um, Christianity or, you know, my faith. And I've very quickly come to realize that those two are inseparable, that, my in it now. I'm not saying if you go to a counselor, stop going to a counselor. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, wh- what I am saying is that it is indeed through a sacramental lifestyle that I am able to remain sane. Yeah. Um, the, you know the whole name of this podcast. And you know sometimes I don't, but then I have to return to the sacraments. And I think that that is universal. I think that a constant return to the sacraments is going to be the medicine for this for anybody. Um, and so that's the advice that our previous guest had. That's the, I, I'm sure that that's the same advice that you would give to um, listeners of the show. You know, if you do anything, go involve yourself in the sacraments. Go find yourself a church that really embodies these things and start to participate in that. Um, especially if you're struggling with with your mental health, because that's really what's going to help you to not only deal with this job, deal with your life outside of this job, but to eventually to be made more human by being made more like Christ. Well, Alex, as we get to the the end of the show here, um, do you have any final advice to our listeners other than participate in the sacraments is there anything else you'd like to impart um, to our listeners here
1: yeah so i think the the biggest thing that I, I would like to that i'd like to leave in regards to participating in the sacramental life is if you're not participating in um, a sacramental life if you don't know how to if you're not necessarily part of a tradition that that does that. I'm not saying necessarily convert to orthodoxy, though I want you to. Um, But uh, find somewhere where you can start seeing that. Go somewhere where you're not looking to feel God's presence in a sort of emotional abstract sense, but go somewhere where you have the security where where you know you are seeing him. Um, We need that stability. And not only that, but... A sacramental lifestyle is only uh, so helpful in as much as you are not alone. We are saved together, and we are damned alone. So, whether that be you know, get involved in um, in community and communion of some kind, um, connect with people who are living that sacramental lifestyle, whether in, in the context of a church or if you're working through twelve uh, step programs, get involved uh, with 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 a group. Ideally, both, depending on what, on what you're uh, struggling with. But we have to find a communion to live that lifestyle with. We cannot do it alone.
0: Wise words, Alex. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's really been great. Remember, if you have any questions, um, I've attached a new Google form to the description of the podcast here. Just fill that Google form out and we will answer questions on the show. Yeah, also I've got another Google form. If you want to be a guest, please let me know. It's got a couple more questions in there you'll have to answer, but I will 100% get in contact with you if you fill that form out. And remember, you can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever it's called at Remaining Sane Have a blessed rest of your day.